At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Man, what a joy it is to sing to and of our good God this morning. Glad to be here with you all. And as that video kind of queued up for us, we're in a series right now, walking through 1 Peter, where we're acknowledging something kind of collectively together. And that's maybe more than any time in most of our lifetimes, our culture, our world, the fabric of the people we exist and live in community with is grasping for hope. We hope things change or go back to a normal. We hope to stay healthy. We hope to stay financially afloat. And in all the intensity and chaos of this year, so many people have been left disappointed, pessimistic, and filled with distrust. Maybe you're right there, and you're not alone. But as believers, our gift is that we know we're not without precedent here. In fact, the church kind of got its start in a season that wasn't very dissimilar to this one we're in right now. Literally a group of people in a room in a culture that was suddenly terrifying to them in a community where they were opposed formally and informally, where their greatest hope was suddenly pretty unsure because he had just been executed, a group of people sat in a, in a house locked inside and afraid. That's, that's right at the beginning of the church. And that precedent was written for our our great advantage, and, and that what happened next shapes our script today because hope came back to life. Hope had a pulse, and his name was Jesus, right? And, and then, after hope appeared and gave marching orders, he left behind the gift of God himself in us, with us, empowering us, Gifting us with everything we needed for life and godliness so that we would never be without hope. That was the beginning of the church, of God's gathering of believers. And that's our script today. So that even as that group of Christians took root in the face of persecution and opposition and disaster and political chaos, their mission to remain not just hopeful but revolutionary was a success and will be a success. How many of us know today that when we allow Jesus to shape our worldview and our lives, the circumstances we find ourselves in lose their power? right? But those circumstances admittedly are real. They're here. They affect us. 
So, let's, let's ask the question. In unpredictable times, how do we keep growing when lives all around us are collapsing? In unpredictable times, how do we keep showing love as called when the native language of everyone around us, including ourselves more than it should be, is hate? How do we grow and how do we love when the world is upended? I'm so grateful that God entrusted his truth to us through the Apostle Peter, who in writing to a group, a gathering of people, gatherings of people across many cities in what is modern-day Turkey, he wrote to them addressing these very same questions and very similar conditions, and we can benefit from his words today as well. So would you join me as we continue in the book of First Peter? We're going to be in First Peter chapter 1, picking up from where we left off last week in verse 22. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. And as you turn there, just remember that Peter was writing to believers who were living in exile. They were dispersed across the Middle East there in modern-day Turkey. And Peter calls them to change the way they live because they had experienced the love of God. And what they were living through was brutal. It was a challenge far greater than the one we're facing right now. But what they learned was that in unpredictable times, we can grow in love because we've tasted, because they had tasted the unshakable goodness of God. We're going to discover that this morning. So would you read along with me in, in your copy of God's Word? It says this. Peter writes, Having purified your souls... By your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. The first thing that Peter points out in this passage as he writes to these gatherings of churches, these gatherings of believers, is this. They ought to love others. That's his starting point in this section. He says you need to love others. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, from a pure heart. What he means is, hey, if you, since you've obeyed the summons of the gospel on your life, if you profess Christ, if you profess Christ as your Savior, then your life should be marked by sincere brotherly love. You've been obedient to respond to the gospel, the Holy Spirit's work in your life to that point. What comes next is you love other people. In unpredictable times, in difficult seasons, when you're not sure of the outcome yet, love others. Earnest, constant, hardworking, sacrificial, genuine love. That's what Peter calls this 
group, these groups of multi-ethnic churches from all sorts of classes and societies of people with nothing else in common facing unprecedented persecution to do, to love. And that transpires through time as a call to us today. And Peter goes on to list maybe the opposite side of love, some vices, some sins against the community that they need to put off while they're in the practice of loving. He says this in chapter 2, verse 1, as he continues. So, you're loving one another earnestly, so put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. These things undo people. They undo community. They undo relationship. They're the very opposite of love, right? Malice is that hostility towards people. It, it's a cause, an intention to harm. Deceit is misrepresenting the truth and deceiving others. Hypocrisy is claiming to have this moral standard but not living by it, not applying it to yourself. Envy rooted in greed is wanting ill for someone else because you want what they have and your advantage they enjoy. Slander is speaking evil of someone to bring them harm. These things destroy community. They're not love. They're not wanting the best for others. And so to truly love others, not only do we have to put off the things that harm a community of people, but we need to put on action, love towards others. Why do we have to do that? I know you know you need that done to you. We're all the same there. Where we struggle sometimes, though, is assuming and understanding that the other people in the room deserve that love as well. Why should we love others this way? He shares a, a hint towards that answer. He says in verse 22, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 23, Since, love, since you have been born again. You've been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Peter's explaining that, hey, love is a natural result of having been loved. Since, he says, you've been born again, what's that? Our conversion in faith to God because of what God has done for us. Having been fully loved by God through Christ, they were to fully love others. Peter argues, listen, of course you have to love. You've experienced love. Through Christ, you know this. It's what you're called to do. And this love, this way of living is so different and more lasting than the life that we all experience just naturally speaking. And Peter draws our attention to that. He says, you've been born again. You've been brought to life. The gospel that saved you is from a different source than the not lasting life we all experience for a living. He says, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Because everyone who's born naturally is going to die naturally. On the other hand, when God rescued us, when he redeemed us, he gave us new life. He caused us to be reborn again. Literally, here Peter says, it's, we're birthed through an imperishable seed. The gospel is forever. 
And unlike natural life, which results in death, this new life is living. The word of God, the gospel, is truth forever. I I love the way the the New Living Translation gives us a a phrasing here to make it simple to understand. It it says it this way, to, to quote, 1 Peter 1.23, it says, For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Peter says that loving others in this sense is rooted in something that's eternal. The gospel. We have a call and an instinct in our life, through our new life, to love others in the same exact way we were loved and remade in Christ. That unshakable life we've received, purchased by love, causes us to love. So we maybe should expand the instruction in Peter's letter. That not only should we love others, we should love others out of our unshakable life. We've been given new life that is so eternal, so profound, so revolutionary, that defines and steers the way we love others. So that our love doesn't become based on the conditions of our life. So that our love doesn't come conditioned on the way others treated us. Our love comes conditioned on something that can never change and something that was given to us without our merit. So the way we love others then follows suit. It's a high bar. Peter continues to elaborate on that unshakable life we've been given when he quotes and references Isaiah 40 by saying all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass, right? Life, our natural lives are going to fade, are going to pass away because the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Peter's using scripture to prove that the gospel in the word of truth can't be replaced, won't change. And, of course, it's the greatest example to us of how to love Jesus himself in our place for our sins in humility. Philippians says it this way, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but the interest of others. That's a definition for love for us. Have this mind among yourselves. Put on love, maybe is what it could say, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. This is what our Savior did for us to experience an unshakable life, so that we could be born again. And since we've been born again, since and if we have that unshakable life, then we follow in his footsteps to love others. We know how to do it because it's been done to us. Can we think of another time in history when this message is more necessary? It's never more relevant than right now. 
A time where we need the command of Jesus to love each other more. In the middle of a pandemic, nationwide unrest, an economic crisis, an election cycle, there are so many things that cause division and fear. And many of them are issues of justice and morality that matter and ought to be championed. But with all the disagreeing and differences of opinions, we still and always are called to love one another in humility, esteeming others as more important than ourselves. Jesus is charging believers with this same command to love one another that he gave us in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is how the world knows. This is how the world learns of Jesus. A body of people who have been born again, given unshakable life through an unshakable living word of God. The church is to be a body characterized by love to each other. In unpredictable times, love others because of your unshakable life is the message Peter gives to the church. So how are we doing today? Maybe we should ask this question of ourselves. Is your life a life that's marked by love? Is your life a life that's marked by love? May we be a church, body of people who are characterized by love for each other and the world around us. Continuing, Peter shares another instruction to these scattered and persecuted Christians. And they weren't supposed to lay low and wait for better days, a more favorable climate to take changes and make advances for the faith. Even as they loved in a gospel-empowered way, there was something else that needed to be done. Peter says this in verse 2 of chapter 2. Like newborn infants, like, like a baby, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Peter starts and borrows that analogy that, that Jesus gave us in our unshakable life being a new birth. And he says, you've been born again. You've experienced this new life. So like that baby... Be crazy hungry for the same truth that brought you the gospel. Grow up. We need to grow up. Because growth is a given in God's family. I mean, imagine how unnatural it is to not grow. There, at the beginning of the pandemic, there were a ton of babies. And now after the pandemic, there's probably going to be a ton, ton more. Right? But... If you had seen a family with their young and new baby just before the world shut down, and then after the pandemic, you know, 10, 11 years later, um, you saw that same family again. And everyone else had grown in age, and you could see the new wrinkles and the less hair, and stop making fun of me, guys, that's not kind. And you saw their baby, and their baby was still a baby. That would be super weird. 
we make fun of people often in culture. You've seen the pictures over the internet in different seasons of adult bodies with baby heads. It's funny. We know it's not normal. You're supposed to grow and develop, and babies get that instinctually. They eat like crazy so that they can grow. Peter's point here is that like babies crave their mother's milk and grow by leaps and bounds, we are to crave spiritual food that we might grow as well. And it's purposeful he chooses babies, right? That stage of humanity's life story where we're hungry 46 times a day, all hours of the day and night, and we signal it with the full force of our souls, right? That should be the way we look when it comes to God's truth, the gospel. The pure spiritual milk that Peter's talking about is that same source that we had been born again through the word of the good news that was preached to you. The unshakable source of truth that outlasts our human lives and our best experiences is the food we turn to moment after moment, year after year, hour after hour to grow. So maybe we should expand this grow up call to its source. Peter's saying you need to grow up through God's unshakable truth. To grow up through God's unshakable truth that Christians, regardless of our maturity, should passionately crave the same truths that saved us in order that we might grow into the fullness of our salvation. Peter continues his metaphor referencing Psalm 34 when he says, If indeed, since, essentially, you've tasted that the Lord is good. Psalm 34 saying, oh, taste and see, try it, the Lord is good. We should keep feeding and keep reading and keep listening and keep preaching to the source of truth that welcomed us into the new life we have. We have every reason to crave the nourishment of the word of God so that we can grow up into the full form of the beauty of our redeemed humanity before God. So the question I think we have to ask ourselves is this, do we crave the word of God, the spiritual food of the word of God? Do you? Maybe we should ask ourselves another question. If we don't crave, we don't long for the word of God, it may be because we're not hungry for what God offers because we're filled with something else. Are you filled with something else instead? If you don't sense, if you know Jesus as your Savior and you don't sense that burden to know his word and his truth and to be close to the truth of the gospel so that it defines your soul, helps you understand who you are and give you the confidence and give you the courage and give you the gifts to love others well, it may be because you filled up on junk food before you got to your source of life, Right? We understand that analogy well. Our mamas taught us better. In a world where you can have a 24-hour news cycle or a relationship that defines you or a career that dictates how you view who you are, there are so many sources of junk food that aim to fill us so that we're not filled with the very thing that makes us more like our Savior.
Go back to the source. Grow up through God's unshakable truth and see that it doesn't cause you to desire it more. See that it doesn't cause you to change, cause you to find joy, cause you to be patient in suffering, to long for justice, to do good. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Maybe we've forgotten the flavor of God's goodness. Maybe we never knew the taste of God's grace-filled kindness to us in the first place. I'm so thankful for reminders of what his goodness to us is. I had another one last night. As we were reading to our two oldest, Adelaide and Micah, uh, with our family devotion time each night. Uh, Last night, we were working through, we've been working through a, a book. I'm so thankful for our kids ministry team gave it to us with our dedication of Titus just over a year ago. And um, we got to the section where, where uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones did a great work in the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, rewriting, kind of paraphrasing the Bible to point to God. And she paraphrases the book of Isaiah, the message of the prophet Isaiah this way. Such telling reminder of God's truth. And I'm sorry, I, um, I kind of cry every night as we read through this, so I might do that today. Um, The message that God gave Isaiah was this, Dear little flock, you've all wandered away from me. Like sheep in an open field, you've always been running from me, and now you're lost. You can't find your way back. But I can't stop loving you. I will come to find you, and I'm sending a shepherd to look after you and to love you, to carry you home to me. Yes, someone is coming to rescue you, but he won't be who anyone expects. He will be a king, but he won't live in a palace. And he won't have lots of money. He'll be poor. He'll be a servant. But this king will heal the whole world. He will be a hero. He will fight for his people and rescue them from their enemies, but he won't have big armies. He won't fight with swords. He will make blind to see and make the lame leap like deer. And he will make everything the way it was always meant to be. But people will hate him. And they won't listen to him. He will be like a lamb. He will suffer and die. It's the only way to get you back. But he won't stay dead. I will make him alive again. And one day... When he comes back to rule forever, the mountains and the trees will dance and sing for joy, and the earth will shout out loud. His fame will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea, and everything sad will come untrue. And death is going to die, and he will wipe away every tear from every eye. Yes, the Redeemer will come. Look for him, watch for him, wait for him. He will come, I promise. And the words through the prophet Isaiah as told there came true. That Redeemer was Jesus who died in our place for our sins. And when we respond by repenting and believing in that gospel, 
We become unshakable, but not because of us, because we're the child of that good God. Then we can grow and we can love because we've tasted of that unshakable goodness of God. Church, we don't need to wait for good days when we already have a good God. We don't need to be dependent on good relationships when you've already been fulfilled by a good God. And you aren't starving, not for finances, not for economies, not for anything, when you've tasted a good God. The church isn't shaken by unpredictable times because it's tasted the unshakable goodness of God, and that's everything. It's enough. Our unshakable life is rooted in a living truth. That living truth feeds an unquenchable growth that results in a sincere and active love for others. So in these unprecedented, unpredictable times, we must grow because our hearts crave God's truth which transforms us. We must love at cost because our lives have been rescued, resurrected through the most radical act of love in all of history. So no matter the storm or the threat, we have a mission. But we have a good God. So let's grow in love having tasted his goodness. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.